0: Thank you, choir. It is good to be here. I have, uh, I guess I enjoyed what I did. I've had the privilege of being in four of our fine churches in the state in the last two weeks teaching uh, 2 Corinthians and and preaching, but I sure would rather be here. Uh, They don't hold a candle, and uh, I just don't do very well away from home. And uh, if you know me well, you know I have no great love for the platform. I'd really just soon stay clear of the platform except when I have to be up here to preach. But I like being on this platform because I get to be face-to-face with you. And I'm glad to be home. I want to thank Earl uh, Henderson. I listened to the tapes from last Sunday and, uh, and participated in worship that way. Thank Dr. Henderson for being here. And Bart, thank you. You did a marvelous job last sunday night i appreciate it turn with me if you would to colossians chapter one if you do not have a bible with you you will find one near you in the pew rack and i would encourage you to keep it open as the uh, text will be the basis for the message and uh what i say and the things that i talk about are determined by the content of these verses of God's Word that we have read together already. Paul has told us earlier in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is the image of God that he is the creator of all things and now as he turns before our eyes the diamond that is the Lord Jesus Christ we see him in another role the role of the head of the body, the church. And we see him in his redeeming work of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. Having been reconciled, we are to live on the basis of that change. Of, of relationship and that change of nature that he has brought to us and we are to live as we have come to him which is by faith paul will tell us in chapter 2 as you have therefore received christ jesus the lord so walk in him now in this passage as in other places in the writings of paul The church is seen and described as the body of which the Lord Jesus Christ is the head. The church is also seen as a family under the fatherhood of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in these verses, I want you to notice some things about the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the body. Notice, first of all, in verse 18... He is the preeminent head he is also head of the body the church and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he himself might come to have first place in everything first place preeminent his headship means many things but certainly it means superiority it means authority and all of it belongs to him because what we see of the church in its local expressions, in its uh, organizing to do the work of the gospel around the world is uh, organized we may be prone to uh, see and think of and react and relate to the church as an organization but the church is not an organization. It is an organism. It is a body. And like any living body, the church cannot flourish. It cannot thrive. It cannot be truly healthy unless it is united. Paul has given us elsewhere an illustration of various parts of the body and how uh, ridiculous and absurd it would be to ever think that one part of the body would set itself against the body or against other parts of the body. And yet that was occurring in one of the New Testament churches to which he wrote. And I would suggest to you that in church it is never me and you. It is always us. We belong to him. Everything is his. Everything that we are, everything that we have, our agenda is his agenda. It is not our own. And we follow the same Lord so that it is never appropriate in the church, on a personal level or on a larger level, for things to degenerate to the point where they are a contest where someone wins and someone loses. There is no winner in that kind of situation except the enemy of the Lord and our great enemy who is devoted to destroying the work of the Lord. Every part of the body is necessary. A body requires endless variety and the body is under the control of the head. The body serves the head. The body moves at the bidding of the head. The body is dead without the head. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is, and we need to maintain the awareness that he is, the guiding, directing, dominating spirit of the church. In the letter to 1 Corinthians, Paul asked the the question to a church that was so divided that some of them said, We are of Paul. Paul brought us the gospel. We follow Paul. Paul's gospel is true. Some said, We are of Peter. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter is the only man who ever lived that walked on water other than Jesus Christ. Some said, We follow Apollos. Nobody can preach. Like Apollos, we believe he is the one God sent. While others at Corinth, you could just see them drawing their righteous robes around them saying, we only follow Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Did Apollos, did Paul, did Peter die for you? No. We are all his. We are all under His headship. He is our Lord. And the true church always maintains the awareness that it is His. Every word, every action is to be controlled and governed by the instructions that He gives. And He has given us explicit instructions in His Word. It is a perfect treasure Of wisdom. Jesus promised us that everything God wants us to know is here. Many of the differences that Christians uh, have with each other, many of the things that separate the kinds of churches from each other, are based on speculation. We need to remember that God told us already through Paul, as he wrote to the Corinthians, that the wisdom of God is always foolishness to men. They cannot understand it. It is always illogical and irrational. And when you take what the Bible implies and you go beyond that and you follow logic instead of the Scripture and you go further than the boundaries the Scripture sets, it will always cause division. Deuteronomy 29:11 says the hidden things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. He has given us his word, and we cannot possibly know the truth. We cannot possibly act correctly. We cannot make good decisions personally or corporately as the church apart from the Word of God. It is by undisciplined, careless, self-willed living that individuals and churches become unfit to be seen as instruments of the Lord. Paul would tell us by this illustration of the head of the body that the church is vitally dependent in every possible way on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this is not some job that he subcontracted. You know, I mean, we don't have the franchise for Arizona Road. And he throws the manual in and says, y'all, y'all have a good time, Need any prob- have any problems, give me a call. It never, it doesn't work that way. There's only one executive in the New Testament church it is the lord jesus christ there is only one we are vitally dependent on him for our life just as the body is dead without the head for our cohesiveness for our energy he is the maker of all things and he is our savior he is our friend he is the head of creation he is the head of the church because he has bought us with his blood. Apart from him we have no life. Apart from him we have no hope. And it is his sovereign plan to do his work in our world through local bodies of believers like this one. It is through the church that he works. Paul says that he is the beginning. He is the original source, the originating source and the moving power. He is the firstborn of the dead. Others were resuscitated. I think today probably more than at any time in history people are resuscitated after having been declared dead. But he was the first one resurrected after resurrection there is no more decay, there is no more death, there is a new body in which we shall like he has reign with him forever we share his resurrection life right now it is within us because he is within us and he must have the preeminence the place of supremacy he has conquered all and it is only as we allow him to live through us and when we do that we are like him the way that you may examine yourself and by the way God's gift is self-examination it's not examination of those around you the way that we may examine ourselves is to see if the fruit of our lives, the things that splash out when we are bumped, the things that come out as we interact with people are those the things that occurred when Jesus interacted with people. He is the preeminent head of the body. And then notice in verse 19, He is the fullness of God. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. If you want to know what Almighty God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus of Nazareth. Everything that God was, was in the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Everything that God is, is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased God to give it all to him. Christ is God. The sum total of the sovereign God in all of his power, in all of his attributes, in all of his majesty, everything dwells in him. And the word dwells is a word of permanent residence. It was always there. It is there now. It shall always be there. He will be forever the embodiment of God's grace, wisdom, love, and might. And there is no domain which is left outside the supremacy of Christ. The teachers that Paul encountered, the same ones we heard of when we studied First John said that Jesus of Nazareth was the closest thing that we have ever seen to God but he was not God. They taught that in knowing God there were many intermediaries. There were many layers of revelation between the unknowable, majestic, distant God and humanity. And that Jesus was the closest that anyone had ever seen. And he, Jesus was wonderful, but he was not God. The unified witness of the Scripture is that Jesus Christ is God. There is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus, Scripture says. After the close of the New Testament era, the first great conclave of the church was to discuss and affirm the scriptural doctrine of Christ. And the most ancient faith of the church that accords precisely with the scripture is that in Jesus of Nazareth dwelt everything that God is. At the same time, He was completely human. He did not lose one bit of his divinity. No luster is lost from his glory because of that humanity. Nor was his humanity diminished because he was divine. It is the doctrine called incarnation that God came into human flesh. You say, explain that to me. Lots of luck. Someday we'll go hand in hand and ask the Father to explain it. But in the meantime, we know that it is true. He was fully human or he could not have been the sacrifice that paid the debt for our sins. He was fully divine or he could not by his resurrection and glorification have secured our eternal reign and power dwelling with him in his power forever. Nothing is left outside of his control. Paul says he is the only one and everything that he has already mentioned about Christ in this beautiful first chapter of Colossians is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God. In verse 20, Here is the reconciliation of blood. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, all of the realms of the created order are reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Romans tells us that creation groans as it waits for that restoration in all of its fullness. There will be no pocket of resistance when Jesus Christ reigns in power. His ultimate purpose was to regain everything that was lost and fallen and damaged and destroyed in the sin and rebellion of mankind. And he did it through his cross, the cross on which he died. The Bible never talks in terms of our need to be right with God about man effecting his own reconciliation with God. Now, to describe salvation in terms of reconciliation is a New Testament thing. The Old Testament uh, has other metaphors, chiefly that of redemption and that of blood sacrifice. But reconciliation talks of relationship. In the Old Covenant, when our relationship to God was seen, it was seen through the Ten Commandments. We were to keep the law or else God was the judge. We were the breakers of the law. But the metaphor in the New Testament is that of family, the relationship of a father to his children. And the New Testament never talks about us making things right with God. It always talks in terms that we are passive and he reconciled us. He didn't need to be reconciled. We did. But without his help, without his grace, we never could have been. Christ did it. God acts in reconciliation and we are reconciled permanently to him. He has created a peace, that will one day be universal and absolute, there will be one kingdom ruled over by one master, one Lord, and all things jointly and happily fallen at his feet. He did it by his blood. The paramount difference between Christianity and the other religions of mankind is this. There is within every world religion that has any concept of sin a characteristic that they all hold in common. It is that blood must be shed to pay the price. The great difference between Christianity and all of the others is this all of the others call for the blood of people or of animals. The message of the gospel is that God clothed himself in flesh and we are made righteous before him because he in the flesh shed the blood of the new covenant. What a radical difference. As archaeology unmasked for us the great civilizations of the ancient past one after the other we find ritual uh, sacrifice often the sacrifice of human beings but Jesus of Nazareth God in the flesh in a scene portrayed for us in scripture more than once has taken his own blood and sprinkled it once and for all at the seat of atonement so that we may be made right with him. He shed his blood. We are told in Leviticus that the blood is the life and it is amazing that the more advanced we become and the more knowledge we acquire, the more Surely it has become an established fact that the life is in the blood. And that blood of eternal value was sprinkled on eternity. It calls us to steadfastness. It calls us to loyalty. It calls us to confidence in Him. And out of the wonder, the mystery of His great love and His reconciliation, are born the strength and the power that we need and the unconquerable faith and hope that are his gifts to us all as his children. Creation will be freed from the effects of the fall of mankind and the oppression of Satan. One day only Perfection and righteousness shall dwell in His kingdom, and everything else will be cast into the lake of fire. Notice in verses 21 and 22, here is the purpose of reconciliation. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds... Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In our native nature, we are alienated, separated from God. And all of our works are pitiful excuses for righteousness. Our native nature is willful. Opposition to a holy and loving God. God changed all of that through the cross and through His grace. We have been transferred to another owner. When he talks of that transaction, he uses a verb in the perfect tense. What it means is that it is a settled fact. It has been done once for all, but the result's, always remain with us your salvation is not something as it became a part of your experience that occurred at the point of time that you were converted and it is encapsulated sitting there at that point of time it is always with you it is not an experience it is a life it is not an event it is your very existence his fleshly body died that his spiritual body the church might be preserved and in the end be holy blameless and beyond reproach the language paul uses here is designed to counteract the false teaching of those gnostic teachers that jesus was not Fully human as well as not being fully divine. We are to be blameless. The realm of blame is personal behavior. Blameless in personal behavior. Beyond reproach. That is in personal relationships. Beyond reproach. You do need to notice that at no time does he say we are to be beyond accusation. For it is the very work and ministry of the enemy of God, Satan, to accuse. He accuses God to us. He calls in question to us the things that God has said. And when he is not busy doing that, he is very busy accusing us to each other so that he might destroy relationships. So we are to be beyond reproach and blameless and we are in faith to trust God who vindicates those who follow him to make our righteousness known to those who would accuse us. This is the purpose of reconciliation in a practical way so that the world may see His life in us. And then notice in verse 23, here Paul addresses those who are the true disciples. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. How much God's work depends on those who will not give up. How much it depends on those who are steadfast, unmovable, in response to the love of the God who will Himself never let us go because He is steadfast and unmovable. The Colossian church was being troubled It was being troubled from within. And the question that Paul had as he wrote this letter was, would they resist error? Would they stand up and do the hard thing and the right thing of standing for the truth? He voices certainty that they will because of his confidence in God. And at every opportunity, we must do the same. We are not blameless if we do not stand with Him where He stands. And I am wholeheartedly in favor of brotherly love between Christians of all kinds. But I will not, I cannot, I shall never identify with the movement that is prominent under the umbrella of Christianity in our world today that says we ought to forget all about doctrine and just all of us get together and love Jesus. You know, if that's what God had in mind, He wasted a whole lot of time and a whole lot of trouble over 1,500 years putting this book together to tell us what the truth is. The message of Scripture is that all unity among believers must be not on the fact that everybody likes Jesus, My favorite preacher said about 20 years ago, and I wrote it down and have remembered it ever since, anybody that doesn't like Jesus is an idiot. Unity among believers is based on the truth of God's Word. And it is sub-Christian, it is unacceptable, and the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with any movement that would say, well, it's all right if you don't like that part of the Bible, and that's okay if you want to go beyond the Bible. Now, does that mean I think we're perfect? Not on your life. If you think this church is perfect, just go home and look in the mirror. But what it does mean is as best we understand it, our union and our unity, wherever we join hands, however we join hands with people, to do the work of the gospel around the world is based on revealed truth. He wrote it. We have no authority to edit it. He is Lord. We must, if we are to be blameless and beyond reproach, stand for truth as He did. What an incredible picture we have. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. He who is the express and exact image of the Father. He has made peace through His own blood. He is our exalted Lord, we are His body. We are united in Him. As such, we follow and we obey Him. He must have the preeminence in all things. We follow Him by obeying His Word and trusting that Word as a light to our path at night, as a lamp to our feet on dangerous paths and He has promised that He will always give us enough light to take the next step as we follow Him. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the truth that You have not designed a world according to Your liking and given us the power to try and make it work but you have said I will never leave you nor forsake you Father I am so grateful to you that the fate of the gospel that the the success of your work in this place does not depend on our collective ability to do what we're supposed to do but it depends on nothing less than the resurrection power of our Sovereign Lord. Lord, we desire to serve you and to please you. When we take our eyes off you, it is evident that in ourselves we we all seem to have different ideas about how to do that. But would you give us the grace, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, and finisher of our faith to follow you hand in hand one step at a time. Father, accept from us our repentance. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fill us with your power and your presence. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know your heart or your need, but I do know that the answer to all the questions that the source of everything you require is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our privilege to offer on His behalf an opportunity as He called people publicly for you publicly to identify with Him. I invite you to meet me here at the front. Let me pray with you about your eternal soul and your relationship to Jesus Christ. I invite you, as we sing in a moment, to meet me here at the front, to join this congregation. If you live in this area, if God would lead you to be a part of this congregation, we invite you to join hands and hearts with us and serve Him here. I invite you to kneel and pray if there is something you would settle with him, if there is someone for whom you would pray. But whether you move from where you stand in a moment or not, I remind you that there is no worship without response. And I remind you that the only time you ever as a Christian leave a place of worship unfulfilled is when you have not heard and responded to His voice. His voice is not dependent on the music or the message or the prayers. He has power that is all His own and in His place, when we as His people come together, He speaks to us. What He would have you do, publicly or privately, do it right now, do it quickly. We will sing Him 347, I Surrender All. If, if you need the book, I invite you publicly to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him. Do it right now. Do it quickly as we stand while we sing.
1: The next four uh, Sunday nights after tonight, uh, to participate in our church training activity, our discipleship activity that we have on Sunday evening at 5.15, our pastor... uh, is going to be teaching for us here uh, here right here in the auditorium uh tonight uh, our january bible study in february and uh, this is the a study of the book of second corinthians now he ought to have this down because he's taught it in three or four other churches uh, this month and he saved the best for the last and uh, we're going to be having it here and uh, we've given him a little, uh, let him go off and get a little practice and pre- preparation here, and now he'll be teaching us. And I hope you'll be here tonight. You'll be blessed. That's at 515 right here in the auditorium. And uh, then we'll have our evening service. And uh, now we want to call your attention to the other activities of the week that are listed on your on your bulletin. And uh, they, the WMU has asked me particularly to call your attention to February 19th, uh, they'll be having uh, their 6.30 p.m. potluck and then we'll have a missionary from Tanz- uh, Tanzania, Africa speaking that night. It's good for you to be here and uh, let's... Uh...
0: Let me say a word about 2 Corinthians. Uh, it is very different to teach through a book of the Bible than it is to preach through it. And uh, I have genuinely enjoyed the study.